Today, you will hear the end of the story that I think probably most of us associate with our first memories of Bible stories, right? If I asked you about the story that gripped you the most as a child, maybe now you would say that it was Mary and Joseph in the stable with the star overhead, but if I really could like go back in time and interview you, it was going to be Noah and the ark. Raise your hand if you had some sort of wall hanging in your house that had the ark in it. Okay, maybe this explains why I am the way I am. Sorry, never mind. This is the happy ending in the story, actually, that we're going to hear today. A rainbow stretches across the heavens, and God makes promises to Noah and to all the earth, actually, we're going to find. Many of the readings in Lent are actually about the promises that God makes. So this week we get Noah and the rainbow. Next week we'll get Abraham and the stars in the sky. And then finally we'll get the people of Israel on Mount Sinai. I love that. It's a nice corrective to our tendency to think that Lent is a self-improvement program that we take. Because rather, I think it is a season of questioning how we will respond to the amazing promises of care, of nurture, of welcome and return that we hear in our scripture. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that that is on the earth. I was thinking back on things and I'm trying to give myself perspective. The early 2000s were my young adulthood, so it's possible that major events of that time loom larger for me than others. You all can probably tell me about things that are superhuman in your memory that come from your young adulthood in a different time. It could also be that I've just gotten better at watching what I call the wrong kind of news But there was, for a while, particularly it seemed like in my 20s, a bizarre theme in those days of a kind of theological weather prediction in reverse. 
that tended to take place after tragedy and trauma. Never in a church that I belonged to, but always somehow on the news, there was some leader who would get up whenever some tragedy would happen and assure us that it was because of some people or another's sinful behavior that it was happening. I was going to name names earlier, but I think I'm just going to try and maintain the peace of the church. But there were, of course, people to assure me when I was a young adult and still not really sure about all this church and God stuff that indeed Hurricane Katrina was payback from God to the people of New Orleans for, I don't know, Mardi Gras? I was assured that the earthquake in Haiti was because the people of Haiti had made some sort of pact with the devil. I decided not to name names because, unfortunately, despite those, there being two people that are most famous for those sorts of things, there were lots of people who jumped on that particular bandwagon. This disaster must have been because of God's opinion of those who were wiped out. Like I said, I was not particularly churchy at this point in my life, but I was offended nonetheless on my vaguely Christian self that people were so certain that God wanted to enforce some code against us that, that only these people on TV could interpret correctly, apparently, to remind us of how quickly we could be reduced to rubble. Even more, how we could use this frightening and destructive image of God to do violence to one another, right? Because indeed, that's what these folks were doing. So many things can fall apart so quickly. We remembered on Wednesday that we are dust, and to dust we shall return. But I'm thankful we also remembered that that's not the end of the story that God is telling in dust or in water, as it turns out. This story today that we just heard begins after the hard thing, the thing we don't talk about very much. Most of those cute quilted or knit or felted wall hangings that apparently only I had in my house of Noah's Ark that we had, well, they're mostly of smiling animals with their heads sticking out of the ark on a newly calm surface. There's always a smiling giraffe, you know. Something to make you understand. Well, the giraffe just stuck his head out for 40 days. They didn't have to build the ceiling that high. It's always on a newly calm surface. Maybe there's a dove mid-flight with the olive branch already in its mouth. Somebody's remembering. I'm glad. (laughs) I'm not alone. Oh, so good. Anyway. A dove mid-flight bringing back that olive branch showing that it was all over. Or soon to be. I remember being so impressed with that dove when I was little. It's all over. Which is good for us that we focus on this, right? Because the flood... I always say this is a terrible story that is the one that most of our children remember in the scriptures, right? It's a terrifying story for kids or for anyone else. God judges the world, has gone so awry that it must be swept clean, washed away. Maybe it sticks with us as children because there is something so primal about our fear of flood, right? 
maybe fire too, some elemental thing beyond our control or comprehension sweeping over the land beneath our feet, the stuff we expect to be there when we wake up, our homes, our lives every day. It makes you understand why so many cultures have flood stories, mythologies, and texts which match or kind of follow along with our own Noah story. And maybe, just maybe, I can sympathize with the theological weathermen of my youth. We desperately want some sort of understanding, some spell we can cast that will protect us. Maybe not whoever's over there, but protect us. And hey, it probably is comforting to think that the tragedy and floods are those are for those that we disagree with already anyway. But of course, the floods have kept coming. In the past few months, we have seen an awful lot here in Maine and in Vermont. I am actually thankful that, at least as far as I am aware, no one has ascribed that to the particular sins of Maine and Vermont I'm close to you all, so I would figure I would know, but I haven't come up with any. Maybe we are taking the turn that our text invites us to take today because the end of the flood story we read today is this amazing turn in our ancestors' telling of their faith. Because if we read it closely, it both acknowledges all that history of a people who thought that God might get angry and smite all the people of the earth, And then, in an irreversible way, saves our faith from that grim picture. picture. And it happens through this churchy word, covenant, which you would think that they ran out of words and they just used covenant every time they weren't sure in that scripture reading, right? How many times did you hear it? God makes a covenant, which is an important Bible word, but it's also an important us word. All of you who are members of this congregation, we sometimes make you sound really official by calling you covenant members because you have stood up here and made a covenant, made promises between all of us and with God. Covenants aren't a contract. It's not just a you do this and I'll give you this kind of deal. That's about control. Making cold logical sense out of the relationship between the two parties. Simple economics. Covenant doesn't control, it changes. It changes both. See, God's covenant changes Noah, surely, and it sounds an awful lot like God is even changed by this covenant. Covenanting with each other in this church to be members of the church changes us. We hope that what that means is that the promises hold us together even when, you know, disagreements Differences might strain and pull and tug. We hold together and, in fact, experience the tugging, even the tearing sometimes, as growth, as grace. Covenanting to spend your life with somebody. If that didn't change you, oh boy. Let's not even get into the children. That's a whole other thing. God does something astounding today. God makes a covenant with Noah and the rest of the animals that come with the ark, which is to say everything that is as far as we're supposed to understand it. 
leave me alone with the questions about the evil fish. I don't know what happened to the evil fish in the ark story. There's a loophole, but I'm going to leave it aside. Today's covenant is even more startling, though, because it is so astonishingly one way. God promises to all creation that God will never wipe it all away. And in return, all creation has to do nothing. Be creation. See the rainbow and know that God is out of the flood business, out of the destruction business, and into the business of finding astounding ways for life to flourish and to grow. And so here is something I want to propose to us today, that maybe God leaves our response to the covenant open because the invitation is to receive God's promise and then to keep the promise with each other and all creation. God is out of the destruction business with us, and are we going to join the party too? This covenant, the rainbow that it points to, lift to us the implied question, if God is out of that flood business, can we do the same? Will we covenant with all creation to turn away from each other's destruction? Certainly Noah's story lands with us differently as we have seen so many floods, so many rapid changes in the waters which surround us. Not through some divine rage, but from our own actions and our insistence that our flourishing can come at the cost of creation or even at the cost of others. Some 462 lives were lost in 2023 to floods. I read this week. When our own productivity comes at the costs of destruction and loss, where are we in relation to the rainbow promises of God? And then maybe something about some weaponry, maybe. Since God does, thank you for catching the bow, Joan. God does hang up the bow in this story. This weekend, UCC churches and churches connected with the main council of churches across seven denominations are observing a Sabbath for gun safety awareness. Maybe you saw some things in the paper in the last few days. Last legislative session, we had a wonderful conversation and engagement as a body between us and between the Falmouth Congregational Church and a number of other churches about how we might prioritize the life and safety of all in a world in which there are so many weapons, so many weapons of war in particular, and so much violence. That landed particularly hard for so many of us this fall. I am struck that one of the bills that went down last year amongst our advocacy was one that proposed a 72-hour waiting period. 72 hours to pause before acting. In a story in which God hangs up the bow, the weapon, and seems to turn it into a symbol and reminder, let's get another day for how God needs a reminder, but a reminder of life and flourishing that will interrupt any flashes of anger. Can it be for us a reminder, an invitation to hang up our own weapons, to pause and reflect in a world in which we are so at arms, so quick to leap at each other, to seek that which slows the pace of violence and invites us into more life? 
We tell this story in Lent because it is a story of God beginning again, and so we begin again, following the one who refused the temptations of power, of safety, of abundance, at the cost of others, and sought rather the flourishing of all creation, all people. We told that story of Jesus turning away all those temptations again at the beginning of worship. We begin each Lent with Jesus in the wilderness, but we often lose the context of what happens right before. Jesus is baptized. Which is to say that the God who promised that water would never again be the source of the destruction calls Jesus to the water. And he goes under and the heavens split just as they had before, but instead of the deluge and destruction coming down, there is a dove and a voice and the assurance that this time the water will be life and new life and life without end. So may we follow the one who leads us into and out of the waters, into the flourishing of all creation. Amen.